Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Whatever time you're listening to this, please welcome to the Market Color Podcast. This is a weekly podcast that is dedicated to providing our listeners with a broad overview of the global financial markets, including a special focus on the Kenyan markets. And in order to deliver on this objective, we have structured this podcast to begin with an overview of the global markets so as to give you a big picture perspective of the global economy. This is then followed by the Kenyan segment where we review the performance of the domestic markets with a view to covering all the major asset classes. And finally, we wrap up the podcast by addressing the topical issue for that week so as to bring you up to speed with the latest financial headlines. Ladies and gentlemen, this here is episode number 71. And as mentioned previously, to commemorate the first anniversary of the Market Color podcast, I'm in the process of writing a book that is focused on fundamental analysis. And this will help our listeners to develop a better understanding of the global financial markets and in particular, how economic data influences asset prices. A quick progress update. After a lot of back and forth, we have finalized with the editor and the final draft has now been forwarded to the designer who is currently working on the layout and design of the book. We will keep you posted on the progress. And now to this week's podcast where we're reviewing the performance of the global markets during the 35th week of 2023 and that is from Monday the 28th of August to Friday the 1st of September. And without further ado this is your host Jemuhuri and together let's dive right in. We kick it off in the United States, where on Friday, the Bureau of Labor Statistics released its monthly employment report, which showed that the U.S. labor market remains resilient as non-farm payrolls grew by a seasonally adjusted 187,000 new jobs in the month of August, and this was above the consensus expectations for 170,000 new jobs. However, the unemployment rate rose sharply to 3.8% and this was up significantly from 3.5% in July and was the highest unemployment rate since February 2022. The increase in unemployment came as the labor force participation rate rose to 62.8% which was also the highest level since February 2020, just before the COVID pandemic broke out. In related news, private payrolls in the United States slowed down sharply in August, suggesting that the U.S. economy was starting to trend lower as a result of higher interest rates. The ADP National Employment Report showed that private payrolls rose by 177,000 new jobs in the month of August and was well below market expectations for 200,000 new jobs. 
The weaker-than-expected jobs report came as investors are contemplating a soft landing where inflation continues to trend lower without a significant slowdown in economic growth. And across the Atlantic in the Eurozone, inflation in the month of August was steady but came in higher than market expectations, further complicating the role for the European Central Bank. According to preliminary data released on Thursday, headline inflation was recorded at 5.3% in the month of August, and this was above market expectations for a rate of 5.1%. However, core inflation, which strips out volatile food and energy prices, came down over the same period and is now at the same level as headline inflation, that is at 5.3%. And over in China, factory activity in the month of August shrunk for a fifth consecutive month, signaling that China's economy continues to slow down. According to data from the National Bureau of Statistics, the Purchasing Managers Index for the manufacturing sector rose slightly to 497 in the month of August. However, please note that with regards to the Purchasing Managers Index, a reading below 50 indicates a contraction in activity, whilst a reading above 50 points to an expansion. Reverting back to the United States, all the three major indices rose sharply on Friday morning and managed to hold out for a winning week as traders weighed the pros and cons of the latest U.S. jobs report. The 30-stock Dow Jones added about 115 points to close at 34,837, whilst the S&P 500 ticked up by just 0.18% to end the session at 4,515, and the tech-heavy Nasdaq was a tad bit lower by just 0.02% to close the day at 14,031. For the week, all the indices recorded gains as the Dow added about 1.4%, whilst the S&P 500 gained by 2.5%, and last but not least, the Nasdaq increased the most as it rose by 3.3%. For your information, the stock market is generally considered a reliable indicator for the overall health of a country's economy. In the U.S. bond market, Treasury yields were mostly higher on Friday as traders assessed the latest U.S. jobs report, which showed that the unemployment rate shot up significantly in the month of August. Just last week, the Fed chairman said that further rate hikes may be required to bring inflation down to its target level of 2%. However, some market players believe that a weaker labor market could prevent the Fed from hiking interest rates any further this year. The yield on the two-year Treasury note ticked up by about one basis point and was last seen trading at 4.86% whilst the yield on the 10-year Treasury bond rose by 9 basis points to 4.18%.
for your information, bond yields and prices are inversely correlated, which means that as interest rates rise, bond prices fall and vice versa. In the commodity markets, the price of crude oil was set to snap a two-week losing streak, and this was on the back of tightening supplies, driven by expectations that the major oil producers would extend their output cuts to the end of this year. Commodity traders expect Saudi Arabia to extend its oil production cut of 1 million barrels per day through to October. And as a result, the international benchmark Brent crude was up 0.9% at $87.65 a barrel, whilst the U.S. benchmark West Texas Intermediate was up 1% at $84.45 a barrel. For the week, Brent was up about 3%, whilst West Texas has risen over 5%. Meanwhile, Marban oil, which Kenya imports, rose to $88.59 per barrel compared to $85.90 the previous week. And for your information, the price of crude oil is a major contributor to inflation as higher oil prices tend to lead to higher inflation and consequently slower economic growth. In the precious metals market, the price of gold was headed for a positive week after an increase in the U.S. unemployment rate boosted the probability that the Federal Reserve would hold back on any further rate hikes. The gold market is looking forward to the Fed's policy meeting in September where traders are pricing in a 93% chance that the Fed will leave its benchmark interest rate unchanged. Spot gold was poised for a weekly gain of 1.2% as it settled at $1,938 per ounce. And for your information, gold has an inverse relationship with the US dollar and was previously viewed as a hedge against inflation as well as a store of value during times of uncertainty. We now change scene to the Kenyan financial markets and we start by looking at the cost of living in the country, where on Friday the Kenyan National Bureau of Statistics released the latest inflation report, which showed that headline inflation declined to 6.7% in August, compared to 7.3% in July. The decline in inflation was mainly attributed to easing food prices, as food inflation declined to 7.5% from 8.6% in July. However, fuel inflation remained elevated in the month of August, as fuel prices remain extremely high. Kenya's inflation rate is now firmly within the central bank's preferred target range of between 2.5% and 7.5%. In the domestic foreign exchange market, the Kenya shilling continued to depreciate versus the major international currencies, but remained relatively stable versus the regional currencies. 
According to data obtained from the Central Bank of Kenya website, the official exchange rate for the U.S. dollar was quoted at 145.41 compared to 144.72 the previous week. However, in the interbank market, commercial banks were selling the U.S. dollar at between 148 shillings on the lower side to above 152 shillings on the higher side. Meanwhile, the sterling pound was priced at 184.64 and the euro was valued at 158.69. And on the regional front, one Kenya shilling was changing hands for 25.55 Ugandan shillings and 17.23 Tanzanian shillings. And to the Rwandese franc, it was posted at 8.18. In the past one year, the Kenyan shilling has lost about 20% of its value against the regional currencies, and this in turn has weakened the country's dominant trading position in the East African region. This current trend suggests the Kenyan shilling will continue to depreciate for the foreseeable future, and this is mainly due to the country's excessive national debt, which now stands at above 70% of the gross domestic product and consumes about 60% of total revenue collections. And what that means is that for every one shilling that the Kenya Revenue Authority collects, 60 cents will go towards debt repayment. On foreign exchange reserves, Kenya's usable foreign exchange reserves declined by $73 million dollars to $7.08 billion, which is equivalent to 3.83 months of import cover. This is in breach of the central bank's statutory requirement to endeavor to maintain at least four months of import cover. And in spite of the recent funding received from both the World Bank and the International Monetary Fund, Kenya's foreign exchange reserves remain under immense pressure due to the increased cost of servicing our external debt obligations, which have pushed the country to the precipice of a sovereign debt default. In the money market, the liquidity situation in the interbank market continued to tighten up during the past week as tax remittances to the government exceeded and more than offset government payments into the market. The excess reserves held by commercial banks in relation to the 4.25% cash reserve requirement stood at 4.9 billion shillings. Meanwhile, open market operations remained active as the average interbank rate increased yet again to 12.4% compared to 11.97% the previous week. And during the week, the average value that was traded in the interbank market decreased from 27.7 billion shillings to 26.6 billion shillings. In the government securities market, the weekly Treasury bill auction was held on Thursday, the 31st of August, and the central bank received bids totaling 23.2 billion shillings, against an advertised amount of 24 billion shillings, representing a performance of about 96%. Interest rates on all the three tenors increased marginally as the bulk of the bids 
totaling about 21.5 billion shillings, were concentrated at the short end of the yield curve, where the 91-day rate rose by 25 basis points to top out at 13.98%, whilst the 182-day rate shot up by 44 basis points to average out at 13.93%. And in contrast, the 364-day rate declined by about 25 basis points to fall below 14% and settle at 13.76%. Please note that the 91-day rate is once again higher than the 182-day rate, which in turn is also higher than the 364-day rate. This means that the one-year yield curve is now inverted, and this is a classical indicator for an upcoming economic recession. And for your information, one basis point is equivalent to 0.01%, and therefore 100 basis points is equal to one percentage point. In the primary bond market, the Central Bank of Kenya, acting in its capacity as fiscal agent for the government of Kenya, has published the prospectus for its September bond issue, and in this regard is looking to raise a total of 35 billion shillings for the stated purpose of budgetary support. The central bank is now inviting bids for the following fixed coupon treasury bonds whose terms and conditions are as follows. The first bond is FXD1-2023-002. This is a reopened two-year bond with 1.9 years left to maturity and a coupon rate at 16.97%. The second bond is FXD1-2016-010. This is a reopened 10-year bond with only 2.9 years left to maturity and a coupon at 15.039%. These bonds are now open for sale until Wednesday, the 13th of September. Please note that the minimum investment amount is 50,000 shillings and both bonds are subject to withholding tax at a rate of 15% for the two-year bond and 10% for the 10-year bond. In the secondary bond market, the turnover in the domestic market increased by 41% during the past week and the yield on the short to medium term government bonds continues to rise faster than the yield on the longer term bonds as investors seek higher yields to cushion themselves against the potential for losses given the government's debt sustainability concerns. And in the international markets, the yields on Kenya's euro bonds were on an upward trajectory and increased by an average of 34 basis points, with the yield on the 10-year euro bond that matures in 2024 recording the largest increase of 100 basis points from 13% all the way to 14%. At the Nairobi Securities Exchange during the past week, the equities market recorded a mixed performance with the NASI and the NSC25 declining by 1.2% and 0.1% respectively, whilst the NSC20 gained by 1.1%. 1 
This takes a year-to-date performance to losses of 22.9% for the NASI, 8.2% for the NSC20, and 18.3% for the NSC25. The market's performance was mainly driven by losses recorded by large-cap stocks such as Bamburi, Equity Group, and Safaricom, which declined by 4.5%, 2.7%, and 2.6% respectively. These losses were however mitigated by gains recorded by other large-cap stocks such as ABSA Bank, NCBA Bank, and Cooperative Bank, which increased in value by 5.9%, 4.4%, and 3.9% respectively. On Kenya's national debt, the latest data from the central bank shows that Kenya's national debt as of July 2023 stood at 9.92 trillion shillings, which is just shy of the country's debt ceiling limit of 10 trillion shillings. The national debt was divided between domestic debt, which stood at 4.78 trillion shillings, and foreign external debt that is valued at $37.09 billion, which is equivalent to 5.14 trillion shillings. However, my gut feeling tells me that the national debt is currently well above the debt ceiling limit of 10 trillion shillings, but the official data is being massaged to avoid negative press, as well as the legal challenges which could bring the government's borrowing program to a screeching halt. And on that note, we come to the end of this week's podcast. Thank you for listening to the Market Color Podcast. I hope that you found it to be useful and informative. And if so, please share it with a friend and help to spread the word around. I really do appreciate your assistance in this effort. And for your information, the Market Color Podcast is now available on all the major hosting directories. That is Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, as well as Amazon Music. The Market Color Podcast is now also available on the WhatsApp channel. Please consider subscribing so that you can be notified every time I publish a new episode. And if you have any ideas or feedback on how we can improve this podcast, please feel free to reach me on the following email address. That is jamuhuriG at gmail.com. Jamuhuri spelled J-A-M-U-H-U-R-I. Once again, thank you for your continued support. I look forward to interacting with you again next week. And in the meantime, please do have yourselves a blessed and fantastic week ahead. And remember, credit belongs to the doer of the deeds, to the man and the woman in the arena. Think about it. Thank you and God bless.